We're going to finish that Sunday school lesson this Sunday on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I want to just read this to you. Some of the scriptures, just for time's sake, I'll read. If you're taking notes, this is John 16, 15. All things that the Father hath are mine, Jesus said. Now this is before He went to the cross. He's with His disciples. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that He, the Holy Spirit, shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So this tells us one of the, the ministries or services of the Holy Spirit to the believer. The Holy Spirit, everything that Jesus, the Father has is Christ. It belongs to Christ. It's at His use, His disposal. Okay? And for Him to give. And He says to the Holy Spirit, when He comes, okay, into the life of a believer, is going to take what is Christ and show it to the individual believer. More than just salvation. More than just, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, and He's the Savior. Praise God, He shows us that. Okay, we never have any of it. But there's a lot of things. There's the deep things of Christ, the mysteries of Christ. There's much that the Lord wants to, by the Holy Ghost, reveal about Christ to us, and not only show us and dangle it in front of us, but to show it to us and impart it to us. To, just like the, the righteousness of God has been imputed to the believer by faith in Jesus. There are lots of things of the Lord that He wants to make ours. Like a possession. A personal possession. It's no longer just out there and with Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit takes it of Jesus, shows it to us, and God begins to work it into our hearts and lives. Okay? It's a wonderful thing. Uh, all things are yours. It says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.31, but all things that belong to us as our birthright in Christ become ours in actual experience through the Holy Spirit's work. Let's say that again. The things that are ours by birthright, I'm talking about a new birthright, okay? The things that belong to every Christian legally because we're Christians actually become ours by experience as the Holy Spirit works it in our lives throughout our salvation. You understand what I'm saying? It's like it's mine. It's almost like there are things in a, if some wealthy parent set up a trust fund for their children and it's there when they're, the kids are 13 and 14 and 15, but it's legally maybe not theirs till they turn 21 or something like that, till the parents die or, or whatever. And so there are things that are ours in Christ legally that are ours that God wants to. He's not waiting till we're 21 or 18. That, that the Holy Spirit takes and makes it ours by actual possession. You might, you might know about the peace of God as a believer, but there might have been some monumental thing in your life where God worked the peace of God into your life and you really know it. You understand what I'm saying? You really, it's like a possession that you have now. It's God's. He's imparted it to you and into your heart. And I believe there are a lot of things like this from the Word of God, I mean, from, from Jesus that He wants to impart to us. And so, it's to the extent that we understand that, and I believe by faith claim what the Lord has for us. I'm not talking about demanding and bossing God. But as I've said at the beginning of this book, I believe that many Christians walk far short of the power that we could have in Jesus. Our witness for Christ, our peace that I mentioned, our understanding of His Word. 
uh, our wisdom. Because the Bible says, if any man likes wisdom, let him ask of God, right? I believe a lot of times we're saved and we walk here and God wants us to walk here. Just in our Christ-likeness. Just in our authority and power as believers. Uh, and so we have to, it's to the extent that we ask, believe God by faith for that and ask Him and understand from His Word that I think we'll possess it and walk in it. All right? There are things that, this is beyond our salvation. This is not you asking for salvation. You're already saved. But this is deeper things in the Lord. And uh, the author says here, a very large portion of the church knows and claims for itself a very small part of that which God has made possible for them in Christ. A very large portion of the church has, has claimed and walks in a very small portion of what Jesus has made possible for us in Christ. And uh, he says, and, and I would agree with this, that because they know so little of what the Holy Spirit can do if we would ask Him and what He longs to do. You understand that we never have to twist God's arm to beg Him to do something. If it's His will, He might have us pray and He might have us to pray earnestly and effectually and for a long time. But it's not that at the end we finally twist His arm. It's that maybe He's teaching us how to prevail in prayer. You know what I'm saying? Maybe He's teaching us faith. Maybe He's wanting us to, to hang in there and persevere. But, but we don't have to twist His arm and cause Him to do something He didn't really want to do in the first place. It's His heart to give. It's, your, it's the Father's good pleasure, it says, to give you the kingdom. Jesus said that, okay? And so, I, I thank the Lord for that. And God wants to work this power in His people, those that know Him. So, as we start studying this, even what we're studying tonight about the Holy Spirit and what He imparts to us of Christ, we, we, go, we don't have to go far and we'll say, well, it's almost interchangeable that the Holy Spirit does it and the Word of God does it. You understand what you read in the Bible and say the Word will do this for you. You might read another scripture that says the Holy Spirit will impart this to you and it's the same thing. But that's not... It, it's, it's okay. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Word of God is the Word of truth. So... The Lord knows what He's doing when He explains it in the Scriptures the way He does. The Word of God is what? One of the descriptions is it's the sword of the Spirit. So think of it that way. The sword of the Spirit. It's not just a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the weapon that the Holy Ghost uses. He uses it for a lost person to convict of sin and bring them to Christ, to reveal Christ to them. He uses it in the life of a saved person, to convict of sin, to reveal Christ to us, to take the things of Christ and impart them to us. And so the Word of God is the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses. And I've said it so many times, and I'll, I'll say it so many times probably in my life and in teaching and in the pulpit that the Holy Spirit is, is never, there's never a point in all of eternity past or all eternity future where the Holy Spirit will act or speak or do anything contrary to the Word of God. Not in the least little bit. Not even barely. Not halfway. It's the Word of God is the Word of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. When He comes, He says, He will teach you all things. He's going to take the Word of God and reveal it to us. So the charismatic movement, and, and you understand what I mean by that, it doesn't mean spirit-filled churches. I'm talking about the charismatic 
teachings and beliefs and movements that are out of balance and unbiblical, and yet they're saying this is the Holy Spirit, this is the Spirit of God, ooh, the Holy Spirit came upon me and, and this happened and that happened. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't come upon you in a fresh new way. I'm saying if He comes upon you in a fresh new way, whatever He says, does, imparts to you, speaks to you, speaks through you, does through you, is going to be biblical. Okay? That's all I'm saying. I don't want us to hide in the shadows and be afraid of the Holy Ghost to move. That's why we're doing this whole series on the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I am saying we can have a great liberty and a peace in knowing it's not that hard to discern. It's going to line up, if it's the Holy Ghost, it's going to line up with the Word of God. It's going to line up with the person of Jesus Christ. Who He is, how He lives, how He acts. And I know I've said it before, but I remember Clinton saying during the laughter movement, that's before some of y'all's times, and it was through the charismatic churches and the charismatic movements and Oh, this is a fresh anointing. This is a fresh new blessing. This is a new thing. Get into this river. Flow with this river. This is the new thing God's doing on the earth today. Right in the middle of a sermon about hell, uh, the people in the crowd start bursting out and laughing and rolling all over uncontrollably. The man doesn't get to finish his sermon about hell. Okay? Uh, and things like that. And saying, this is it. And this is it. No doubt this is the Lord. And then, then other manifestations began of people... Barking like dogs, people standing in trances, people, people uh, rolling around up at the altar, people, quote, drunk in the spirit that can't control themselves, falling all over, and all the time saying this is the Holy Spirit. And Clinton just said to say one thing. He said, well, when I look at somebody barking like a dog at the altar of Almighty God, and we did our series on the altar, okay? And he said, would my Jesus do that? You understand what I'm saying? No, He would not. All things, and even the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 are, are to be done decently in order. It could, be, it could be loud. It could be quiet. It could be different. Tonight's service could be totally different than last Wednesday. And it's okay. It could be the Lord. We want it to be the Lord. I'm not afraid of God moving. I'm not afraid if Buck stands up and when, at the appropriate time and, and speaks a prophecy very loudly while we're praying or something like that. That doesn't scare me. I would desire for that to happen. But it's going to be biblical. Amen. It's going to line up with the Word of God. So we understand that. That is the Word of, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's the instrument that He uses. Therefore, if we're desiring for a lost man, for example, to come to know the Lord, we're going to have to give them the Word of God. Right? It is the power of God and the salvation. He's not, the Lord doesn't work through some other instrument. He works through, uh, through the Word of God. That's how He works. And anything else that just uh, is unbiblical and yet it's being, this is the Holy Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, it just leads to like unbridled uh, fleshly things. You understand what I mean? And enthusiasm. And people say, whoa, wasn't that God? And I say, no, I don't think it was. I know the Lord. I did not discern the Holy Spirit in that. I'm not being critical. I don't believe that was God because He said such and such, which is not what the Scriptures say. 
And the people did such and such, which is not how the church is to interact or act or respond and so forth. So we know uh, we need to be led by the Lord. And, we, and the Holy Ghost is going to lead us by the Word of God. And so you can magnify the Word of God and leave the Holy Spirit out. We don't want to do that because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's living. He's the third person of the Trinity. There are people that are just, their heads are this big with scriptural knowledge and they don't know Christ because they have not allowed the Holy Spirit to reveal their own sin to them or their need for humility or their need for Christ to be their Savior. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not either or, it's both. And they're just, God has sandwiched them together and put them together. You could magnify the Holy Spirit and leave out the Word of God. We've already shown the type of things that that, that leads to. So I want to just look at this. Uh, if, it, if you just have orthodoxy, like good orthodox uh, doctrine, separated from this Holy Spirit, it's going to be dead. It's going to be dead. We don't want dead churches. We don't want dead Christians. We don't want a dead faith that avails nothing. We don't want dead ministry when we go out. I don't want to bring a dead God home and, and be a dead faith with my children. You understand what I mean? It's not the Word of God or the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit teaching me that my heart the Word of God and ministering it to my life and imparting it to me. So let's look at just a couple of things. The way he breaks this book down, he'll look at, all right, what can the Holy Spirit do? What does it have power? We're talking about fullness of power. What does the Holy Spirit have power to do? If you're taking notes, this will be our first thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. That is a that's an unusual scripture because you could say, a man can say, a lost man could say that doesn't know God and not doesn't know the Lord at all, could say, Jesus is Lord. John says the same thing in 1 John. He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Lord is of God. And every spirit that, I mean, that confesses that Jesus came in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus came in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Hereby we know the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit of God. And so we have to dig into that just a little bit. Confess that, that John talks about in that passage. Because uh, anybody can say that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean that that one speaking that is of God or knows God. They could be the spirit of Antichrist saying that. Confess doesn't mean merely to say. Confess means to agree with. And nobody can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nobody confess that Jesus Christ. And remember, every word of that is important. Jesus is the Savior. Messiah, Christ is the anointed one, the Savior. No man can say that this Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the prophesied one of God, the eternal Son of God, who came in the flesh and born of a virgin. Nobody can agree with that but by the Holy Ghost. Y'all understand that? That's, when you look at it that way, it makes sense, right? Because lost people all the time can throw Jesus as my Lord and Jesus is the Christ and they don't know the Lord. And the Bible says... It, it, but confess means to agree with. And that's what, what Paul is saying here, the same thing. I love the way the Word of God interprets itself and sort of backs itself up. 
You know what I mean? That's how you build the doctrine. So I'm going to read this scripture again. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So what is one of the things that, that the Holy Spirit can do? The Holy Spirit has power to reveal Jesus Christ and His glory to men. We're walking around. The Bible says the whole world's walking in darkness. We're walking around spiritually blind. We're walking around spiritually bumping into things, groping and feeling for things. What might be right? What might be true? How do I live my life? Is there a heaven? Is God real? Is it just when I die, do I just go in the grave and that's the end of me? People are groping for things. The only way that somebody comes to know that Christ is the Lord is by the Holy Ghost. No man ever came to that knowledge or understanding, including us here, Old Testament saints, whoever. Nobody came to that knowledge but by the Holy Ghost. That's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit has the, the power to reveal Jesus Christ in His glory to men. John 15, 26. I'll read it. He says, But when the Comforter is come, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. That's what He's coming to do. That's one of the things He's coming to do. And the main thing He's coming to do is to testify of Christ. Christ is gone. He was in His earthly body. You think about it in the history of 6,000 years of the planet, of man, mankind on the earth. That was a very brief period that Jesus walked on the earth. 33 and a half years. And only three and a half that, that years was at a public ministry where he, after John the Baptist had baptized Him, where, hey, this is the Lamb of God. So three and a half years and only a little, one little geographical area, right? And yet, people all over the world have come to know Christ. They come to know Him because the Holy Spirit has come to make Him known. He takes the Word of God and the Gospel and He makes it known. So again, if you want somebody to come to know the Lord, we have to bring the Word of God and the Holy Spirit has to take it home, so to speak. That means we have to pray. Holy Spirit, when I go out witnessing today, I have this meeting set up with my father or mother or uncle and I go talk to them about Jesus. God, please prepare their hearts. Holy Spirit, please convict them of their sin. Please make Jesus known to them. I need you. I'm dependent upon you to do that. I talk about our testimony. Our testimony for Christ is important. I heard a lot of y'all's testimonies. We did that series in Sunday school, remember? It was wonderful. It ministers to our lives. But your testimony doesn't save me. The Lord saves me. I'm not saying it's irrelevant or unimportant. I'm saying even in your testimony, when you're sharing it with somebody, you have to bring the Word of God. And even in your testimony, when you're sharing it with another person, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to bring that home to their heart. Okay? The Lord does that. And... Uh, he, he takes it home, so to speak. So if you wish men to see, and I'm just going to read this little paragraph. Um, on, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, the men were cut to the heart at the end of his sermon. He preached the gospel, preached the word of God, death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in accordance to the scriptures, and they were cut to the heart. How were they cut to the heart? The sword of the Spirit, taken home by the, by the Holy Ghost, pricked their hearts as only God can do. 
No, but Peter didn't do it. Peter was an instrument God used. The Holy Spirit took it home and, and 3,000 men were saved. Listen to this, and this to me is just encouraging. If you wish to see men see the truth about Jesus, do not depend upon your own powers of exposition or persuasion. Have you ever felt like, uh, I'm talking to a doctor and they're brilliant. I'm talking to a science professor and they're brilliant. And I've got to, I've got to come up with an argument that's going to work. I've got to outsmart them. I've got to be smarter than they are. And we may or may not be smarter than they are, but the Lord's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, right? We have to remember that. We have to fall back upon that. It's not a weakness. It's, it's a weakness on our part, but it's a strength on the Lord's part, which is greater than their wisdom because the Lord's Spirit brings it beyond that. But cast yourself, don't depend upon your own powers of persuasion, but cast yourself upon the Holy Ghost and seek His testimony. Because why? He came to testify of Christ. He knows how to do it. Nobody's brilliant when the Lord looks at them. They're just, we're all lost and dark, darkness and stupid compared to God. He knows how to bring it home. All right? Trust Him. And so cast yourself upon the Holy Spirit and seek His testimony if you wish yourself. So it's not just for witnessing. You wish yourself to know Jesus with the true and living uh, knowledge. Seek the witness of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And I, I just liked what he said there. Alright, the second thing the Holy Spirit has power to do, and we've touched on it. Uh, if we're taking notes, John uh, 16, 8-11. If you want to turn there, I'll read it. There's a couple of things mentioned here, but this would be our second point. When He is come, Jesus said of the Holy Ghost, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Well, the word reprove, if you look it up, it means to convict or to convince. To convict or to convince. So when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit has the power to convict the world of sin. And remember, it's the sword of the Spirit. God's using the Word of God to do that. Um, it's, it's sin, He says, of sin because they believe not on Me. That's the greatest sin of all. Okay, And you can never convict any man of sin. You can't. And I can't. I can do what I have to do and need to do. I can be an instrument, a mouthpiece of love, of prayer. I can be the one that brings the Word of God. I can do all those things and we should do all those things and God will happily use us. All right? But I can't personally convict a man of sin. I can say, well, look right here. It says thou shalt not lie. And you, you lied all your life. You're a big, fat liar. You know? You can try to convict them all your days of of sin. Bring them the Word of God. Let God prepare you to know how to do it, when to speak, when to be quiet, what to say. You understand what I mean? Be prayed up before you go. That's very important. But the Holy Ghost, again, is the one that will actually do it. The Holy Spirit is the one that did it in your life. And the Holy Spirit is the one that continues to do it in our lives. When we're as believers, He wants to chasten us or reveal something to us, or convict us of sin in our own lives. 
The Holy Spirit can do it and He can do it very quickly. That's why He's saying cast yourself upon the Holy Spirit and His testimony. Um, you, come, you can show somebody a passage of Scripture and they're totally unmoved by it. And you're just thinking this is the most perfect thing. This is what's going to get them. I'm going to tell them this and I'm going to tell them this parable and I'm going to tell them this testimony. Those three things, they don't stand a chance. They're going to get saved today. And, and they're unmoved by it. It might be because we were trusting that in our power to persuade as opposed to trusting on the one who testifies of Christ to the hearts of men, to every man. And so uh, we're helpless in that area. But we're not, we're helpless. Our helplessness brings us to the Lord who helps us by His Spirit. Amen? And so again, cast yourself on the Holy Spirit to do that convicting work. And... Uh, He's going he's gonna to do it. The Lord said, He's the one that I'm going to send to do it. When He comes, He'll do this. And so it's ours to preach the Word, and it's ours to trust the Holy Spirit to bring about the conviction. The third thing, and we could expound on all of these, but I'm just moving through a few. The third thing, what does the Holy Spirit have power to do in, the life, in a person's life? <clears throat> Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the what the Holy Ghost. A lot of times I'll quote the first half of that scripture and I don't finish it. I'll quote with the mercy He saved us. But He says by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit has power to renew men. Again, no, no one else can do that. That's of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. All three members of the, the Trinity are involved. The Father sent the Son. You know, the Son died for the sins of the world, was raised by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the Word of God and brings about that conviction and puts us into the body of Christ when we're saved and seals us in Christ. But it, there's a renewing of the Holy Spirit. And the, and the Holy Ghost has the power to renew men or to make men, to regenerate men. It, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in Him alone. The Bible says, You hath He quickened who were dead in sins and trespasses. Right? You hath He quickened. What is that? That's a regeneration. That's uh, renewed in the Lord. You hath He quickened or given, He gave life to who was before spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. He can take a dead man in sins and trespasses and make them alive. He can take someone who's blind to the truth and illuminate the truth to them and cause them to walk in the truth. He can take someone whose will is totally contrary to God and doesn't uh, will to do the things of God and transform the life to where they take their delight in serving God and pleasing God. Have you experienced it in your own life? I have. That, that to me, I say it all the time, is a bigger miracle than, than part in the Red Sea. The will of man can be so strong and so bent that it cannot be broken. They would, there are people that would die before they would bow a knee to somebody. You know what I mean? They were that stubborn. And it says the witch, as the idolatry of witchcraft. You know, stubbornness is as uh, idolatry and witchcraft, rebellion. That to bend the will of man or to change the will of man to where um, I'm heading south and the Lord brings me out going north 
I didn't want to please God, didn't want to believe in God. My will is set on that. And then I'm proclaiming Christ to everyone because he set me free and saved me. Only the Lord can do that. It's a wonderful thing. And so uh, people that pursue and after every vile thing in the world, every sinful thing in the world, and, and we did, pursued after so many sinful things, and to transform that man's affections and desires and give him God's nature. Give him God's nature, which is holy and kind and loving and merciful and cause us to love what God loves and hate what God hates. That is a working of the Holy Spirit. This is something the Holy Spirit has power to do in a life. Okay? Thank God He does. Amen? And uh, Oratory says, I never despair of any man when I think of God's power. The power of the Holy Spirit to make him new. In other words, in his mind, nobody was beyond salvation when he would set his mind and think, no, wait, the Holy Spirit has power to do it. The Holy Spirit has power to convict them, to renew them. God can do it. We, we have people in our mind, maybe this one might be saved, this one, but this one, no way. They're so far gone. And yet we're limiting what the Lord can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It has power to renew. The Word has power to regenerate, but not, as he puts it, the bare Word. Not the Word of God by itself as ink and paper and, and spoken words. It's only as the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God's Word and brings it home. Okay? And the Holy Spirit has to work. When, when somebody's born again, they're born of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. I'll just read a couple of Scriptures. Know ye not that you're, you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? The Bible says, that's 1 Corinthians 3.16. And there's another one very similar in chapters, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, that you're not your own and so forth. Therefore, glorify God. And, and so the Holy Spirit comes and begins to live in a person. Listen to this scripture. But you are not, Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh. So he's talking to Christians. Just listen. This, we need to know where we are, where we stand now as a believer. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So if you're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That makes it clear, and there's a period right there. If somebody does not have the Holy Spirit living in them, no matter what they say or what church they belong to, uh, if the Holy Spirit does not live inside of them, they don't belong to Christ. They are none of His. But if you do belong to Christ, then everyone that belongs to Christ, without question or without exception, the Holy Spirit is in them. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's a fact. Then the command that goes with that fact is in Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. My standing is being righteous and just in Christ. I need to live a righteous, just life. My standing is being, I'm in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in me, and my body is His temple. That's a fact. That doesn't change because I sin five minutes from now. Okay? The command that goes with that biblical truth is to walk in the Spirit. Walk is my behavior, my attention to God, my desire to please and my obedience to Him, my confess, confessing to Him and being forgiven when I'm 
and repenting when I do sin. And so uh, we need to walk in that. I'm going to just read what he put here. We may not have surrendered our lives very fully to his indwelling spirit. We may be very far from being full of the spirit. We may be very imperfect Christians. But if we have been born again, the spirit dwells in us. This is a truth that we preach and believe from the word of God. Okay, that's something we can hang our hats on and believe. And uh, it's a sobering thought because we also understand if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then uh, the Bible says we're not to defile that temple. He that's joined to a harlot, for example, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, or he that goes after idols that's a Christian, but is dabbling in some kind of idolatry or seances or astrology or something that's not of God. Uh, that's joining. I'm, my body is still the temple of the Holy Spirit. It didn't leave me because I committed fornication. But I'm defiling the temple and I'm joining myself to that which is not of God. It's a sobering thought. It's, it's, it gives me a sense of responsibility and either greater and even greater dependency upon the Lord and His Spirit to help me walk this walk of faith and this walk that pleases God. Amen? A couple more points we'll make tonight. Uh, the fourth thing is found in John 4.14. What does the Holy Spirit have power to do? But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto er into everlasting life. And so... The, this is what Jesus speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I want you, let's turn our Bibles and look at chapter 7. So what is he talking about? What is the water he's talking about? I know that you know the answer, but just so we can see it scripturally, uh, again, how scripture interprets scripture, right? Look at John chapter 7. A few months ago I shared this. I can't remember, it might have been it's our Sunday school lesson. Let's read this in John 7, 37 through 39. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to come and, and have some pastor or some theologian tell you what the water is. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He wasn't given personally to indwell men. Okay, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and there were men of faith and there were saved people before this, but the Holy Spirit didn't come to take up residence, never to depart until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so, remember when uh, I thought it was interesting, I studied it myself, and this great feast, what was the last feast? Most Bible scholars believe this was the, a feast where, a Jewish feast, and I'm trying to remember what it was called, but it was a seven day, seven day feast, and one of the memorial things, and I always typified something else. Remember it? It, for, talked about, it spoke of the, the water, you know, that came from the rock that supplied the water to, to sustain Israel in the wilderness. The rock that followed them. 
And they would get pool, the priests would go and dip some water and bring it from the pool, I think, of Siloam to the congregation, to the temple, and to the congregation. That was part of the, for seven days, part of the observation of this feast. And I think they would pour it on the altar, if I'm not mistaken. And it typified the Lord's providing the water for them in the wilderness. But on the eighth day, they didn't go get the water. It was the eighth day of the feast. And it was on that day, the last day of the feast, that Jesus stands up and says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I just think it's awesome how the Lord does that. He's talking about, and what the Lord was typifying through all that, was this one who's going to come give you living water. That's really what the feast is about. It could just be a dead, dry feast. Okay, he provided water 4,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, or whatever, 2,500 years ago through the rock. He that, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, so this is how we receive by faith, this is how we come to Christ and drink. As the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you're praying, for example, in your prayer language, or God might be prophesying through you or giving a tongue through you or something, you honestly do feel it from here rising up. You don't have to give it that much thought. You don't have to sit there and think about your stomach or anything like that. But the Bible says, out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit. Okay? And so, um, the, one of the things the Holy Spirit has power to do is to satisfy by, because that's what Jesus was talking to the woman at the well about. We'll go back to John 4, 14. Who, who drinks of the water that I shall give him? We just looked at a comparable scripture. The water that he's given is the Holy Spirit. Shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Isn't that awesome? We'll probably close with this, this thought tonight, but the, the picture here is that it, the, the, the Holy Spirit and the rivers of living water, again, it's not a lake. Lake is beautiful. It's not a pond. A pond is beautiful. It's not the ocean. The ocean's beautiful. It's a river of life, a river of living water. It springs up like a, a, a spring that will pop up out of the ground. Hot Springs, Arkansas. You know, something where it's living, it's moving. It's life-giving. Okay, it's cleansing. Because it's not just stagnant and staying still. It's self-refreshing and regenerating almost. Okay? And it, it, the Holy Spirit satisfies. The Holy Spirit satisfies. That's what He's telling, telling the woman at the well. Whoever drinks from this well is what He had said right prior to that. Jacob's well. Okay, our father Jacob gave us this well. And uh, he said, whoever drinks of this well is going to thirst again. But if somebody drinks of the, the river and the water that I'm going to give them, they're not going to thirst again. It is not physically, but spiritually, will be satisfied. Once you've found Christ, you don't have to go looking anywhere else, do you? I, I remember... Uh, a friend of mine a little bit older that was a believer and he had grown up well not grown up but got saved late in life and part of his life he had been very much into the new age like I know about the new age but he was actually in it he believed it he did the, the crystals and the, all the different stuff that we kind of you know look at strangely 
He was in it. He believed it and the mind power and all that kind of stuff. And he wasn't he was in it and he participated in it all. The Lord saved him out of that, but all that stuff never satisfied him. He did it, he participated in it, he he was seeking. He was seeking something. And somebody led him to that polluted river, okay? A polluted river. And he wanted some of power, some kind of spiritual connection, <coughs> some type of spiritual life more than just the physical stuff that's around us. And he was led to that. But it didn't satisfy him. When he came to know Christ, he didn't seek that stuff anymore. It was over. He put it out of his life. It was no longer anything to do with his life because that never satisfied him, but Christ did. How does Christ come into our hearts and lives? By the Holy Spirit. That's how He literally lives in us, is through the person of the Holy Spirit. Who drinks of this water shall never thirst again. And, and not even this new age, but like worldly pleasures. They don't satisfy. They're worldly pleasures. There's a ple there's pleasure of sin, Hebrews says, for what? A season. Right? But He just said the water that I'll give is going to spring up to life everlasting. That means eternal. But the pleasures of sin of this life and the joys, they're short-lived. They, they leave you empty. They leave you hollow. They look so attractive and you go for it again. And you're like stupid. You fall for the same trick thinking this will do it. And it doesn't do it. There's pleasure in it. Momentary pleasure. Not nearly as good as you thought it would be. Doesn't last nearly as long as you hoped it would. And you have to repeat the same stupid error to try to get it again. And the Lord is saying, that's you're drinking from this water. But if you drink of the water I'll give you, you'll be satisfied. Amen? You'll be satisfied. And I just want to close with that thought because the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. We understand that. But He gives the water, He says. He gives the Holy Spirit. If you're a young person in here, I just want to admonish you, exhort you, don't waste your time. Don't think you're going to find something else that nobody else found. Don't chase after the pleasures of the world. If you're an older person in here, don't chase after the pleasures of the world. Don't preoccupy yourself with it. Don't bother yourself about it. If your friends are going after it, you don't have to go after it. The world's trying to lure you that way, like this man was led to the new age. Christ satisfies Go deeper in the Lord. Press in closer to Him. Let Him satisfy you. Amen? He promises He will. He's not going to make an exception. He won't do it for Maria, but He'll do it for Maria, but He won't do it for, for Liz. You know what I mean? He, he's, he satisfies. He satisfies us by Himself. And we don't have to seek out for all those other things. That's one of the things the Holy Ghost has power to do. Amen? Y'all stand with me uh, tonight. We'll finish that, that uh, section next week on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can we just take a few minutes to uh, come and meet with the Lord, come to these altars, and get on our knees and our faces before the Lord? Maybe it's been a while since you've been filled with the Spirit. Maybe uh, you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it may be, let's just come and call upon Him and ask the Lord to touch us and meet with us in that way. So Father, Lord, we're so thankful 
To me, this is an encouraging thing. We're talking about the power of God. Power belongs to God and you want to give it to men that you've redeemed. You want to take what's Christ and impart it to us and show it to us and make us ours. And the way that you do that is by the work of the Holy Ghost in our hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you, Lord. I don't have to waste my time following after worldly pleasures. Those are empty fountains. They're polluted fountains. There's no life in them at all. Oh, they have the picture of life. They, they, they put out the, uh, the uh, advertisement of being so filled with life and joy. But only that joy in life only comes through your spirit in the life of a man or a woman or a young person. That knowledge of Christ who satisfies. I thank you that that springs up in the life of a believer that you've redeemed unto an everlasting life. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the things that the Holy Spirit has power to do. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do all of those things in my life and in our lives and in our church and in our witnessing and in our ministry and our one-on-one -on -one time with you, God. That the Holy Spirit, you would do all those things that you can do. Even things we haven't talked about tonight. Everything that you desire to take of Christ and impart it to us, we ask that you would do it. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.